Some of you know a friend of mine, uh, Lee Eklov. He's preached here uh, a sermon a couple times, and he's an author and a pastor, and I just enjoy his writings. And he puts out an article weekly for pastors, and he wrote this reflecting on a hymn. Uh, He said, all his jewels, precious jewels, his loved and his own, they will shine in their beauty, bright gems for his crown. And he's referring to the people of God and saying that they are gems, and you all are gems. He writes this, that old hymn came to mind a couple years ago when I was driving home after ministering at church one Sunday. Usually I'm dissecting my sermon or trying to remember names of visitors I just met or recalling the prayer requests that I promised to pray for, but that day I started thinking of the jewels of our church. Every Sunday, mostly before and after service, as I moved from one person to another, I handled precious things. But they seem common, ordinary, and I usually forget some of the interactions by the time I get home. But if I focus, they're beautiful. A brother told me about a bona fide miracle he experienced. And the sad thing is, sometimes I forget those things by the time I'm eating lunch. A child came and hugged me. A woman told me that God had been teaching her God had been instructing her in his word. I began instead to spend my drive home instead of rehashing the sermon to try to recapture moments with the gems of our church. On one Sunday morning late in 2019, here's where the jewels. Abraham, age 10, looked up at me bright-eyed to say he decided to memorize the kings of Israel. When I asked him why, he said, well, I pretty much learned the books of the Bible, so this seemed like a good idea. Then there's Janet, small and stroke-smitten, held out her Bible to show me a verse that she underlined, Deuteronomy 31.6. Uncontrollably giggling as she often does, she started to read one painstaking word at a time, be strong and core, and I helped her with courageous, but she understands courage better than I do. Art waited in a chair by the window as usual with tears in his eyes. He still grieved his beloved, gone three and a half years. I just miss her so much, and we embraced and I prayed for him. Joss and Jasmine brought Rhonda Lynn to our church for the first time, born just that week, and later I saw a picture of her in her carrier with her grandmas and grandpas grinning down at that precious little jewel. It might have been the most beautiful thing I saw all week. Some people dream of walking on streets of gold, but we walk amongst the Lord's treasures every week here at church. They seem unremarkable, but these are treasures of ministry. I can totally relate to what he wrote. You are treasures that God placed in my life, and you're treasures that God placed in each other's lives. And as we come in here week after week to worship our God, as we collide in these gems, these jewels of God's goodness collide together, what's given off is love. Love. Love is one of those things you know when you experience it. Love is one of those things that hits your heart when you know you've collided with it. And I experience a lot of love here at Crossview Church. I see it, I sense it, I'm grateful for it. I think as humans, we all sense 
love and we know what it is, but it's so hard to describe. I mean, how would you answer the question, what is love? We can go down a certain track and try to describe it, but it's hard to put your finger on it, but you know it when you experience it. Thankfully, the scripture passage that we're going to look at this morning tells us not only what love is, but it also tells us how we can love others. And so I want to encourage you to, um, as we begin a new series this week called Crossview Life, where we're looking at how do we, as the people of Crossview Church, become people of Jesus, people of the gospel, people whose lives have been transformed and encountered by the person of Jesus and his master message called the gospel, and how do we let that impact us and fill us to the point that we can walk out of this place spreading the love and the gospel and the joy of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? We are a loving church. I see it, I sense it, but we have to guard that. Because we can so easily drift from love. And what we're going to look at today calls us back, calls us back to be people of love and to guard that. So if you have a Bible, open it to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 13. Uh, Romans is, is towards the end of the Bible. You want to go past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and then Romans will be there. It's also on the our Bible app, as long as the notes are there as well, if you want to follow the notes, you can do that. The new uh, series we have, Crossview Life, I'm starting, the title of this message is Life in Community, meaning how do we do life in biblical community? How do we live life out in the community of the church? And one of the ways we do that is when we gather, the main thing we should express, the main Christian ethic that should come forward is love. And Jesus expresses this, and Paul instructs this, and in these set of verses, we're going to see three qualities of love that should mark our community together. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9, the first five words, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. The first thing we see is that love is a decision, not just an emotion. Obviously, there's an emotional side to love, and that's absolutely wonderful. It's something that God created, and I thank God for the emotional side of love. But verse 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Some versions say, let love be sincere. In the original text, Paul wrote, sincere love, and it was like a colon. And then the rest of this whole passage was an explanation and definition of what sincere love is. It was like the heading. And this is saying that biblical love is not fake. Biblical love is not something we jump in and jump out of or that we paint and we pretend. We tend to think of love as an emotion that we either fall in love into it or we drift away and fall out. And there's nothing bad with the love feeling, but in the Bible, love is a matter of decision. It's a matter of the will above emotion. According to God, we determine to love. We are in control of who we are and what we love. That is why it's sincere. That's why it's without hypocrisy. 
If it was all based in emotion, we couldn't hang on to it. We couldn't have it grounded because our emotions are so fickle and they fly all over the place. But the decision to love is an anchor that holds. Biblical love involves placing others' needs above ourself. It's to be more concerned about others' needs than our own. And people who receive that, people who experience that kind of love, they know it. It's transformative. It can change how you think and how you act and how you behave. The Apostle John said this in 1 John 3.18. He said, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. That's love that's sincere. That's love without hypocrisy, action, and truth. The Apostle John was known as the Apostle of Love, not just because he wrote about it all through his Gospels and the letters that he wrote in the epistles, but also because when he was aging, church history tells us in the early church when the Apostle John, after his revelation that he had, that he, we have in our Bible, the letter of Revelation, after that happened on the island of Patmos, he was in the church and they would pick him up and carry him in his old age where he had difficulty walking into the congregation. And he would always say as people were leaving, remember to love one another. Remember to love one another. Remember to love one another. And they kept, this is the guy who hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. And his parting words every time the church left was, remember to love one another. They asked him, why do you keep saying that? And he said, because if you do that, it will be enough. Love is among the highest of Christian ethics. This week there was a flight from Atlanta to Chicago, and on board were nine soldiers coming back from Afghanistan. And not only were there nine soldiers coming back from Afghanistan, but there's also nine first-class seats on the plane. And the first-class passengers, I don't know how they coordinated it, how it all happened, but all nine gave up their first-class seats and took coach so that these nine veterans coming home from Afghanistan could sit in first class. We may not be able to afford first class and give it away, but the question is, can we give away what costs us in order to love? What is it that we can give away? What could we do to let love be sincere, to let love be acted out? Maybe it's giving up a place in line. Maybe it's giving up time that was scheduled for something else. Maybe it's just a smile. Or how about this? Maybe it's giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. That is love. How are we doing at love? How are you doing at love. There's a lot of love at Crossview Church, and I love it, but we have to guard that. We have to guard our first love between our love between us and Christ. We have to guard that first love, but we also have to guard our love for each other. Is there love in what we say? Is there love in what we post? Is there love in what we do and how we act and how we interact in groups with others? Let us not drift. And if we drift, that's human. 
If that happens and you're convicted, go before God and say, God, forgive me for the unloving things that I'm drifting to. Will you help me to be people of love? It's so critically important because of the second thing we see in this text, that love reflects the heart of God. Look at the second part of verse 9. First it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Then it says, detest evil, cling to what is good. Detest evil, cling to what is good. True godly love shuns evil and clings to what is good. So sincere love is a, not, is a matter of the will. We are to choose what God values. We are to choose to love what he values. But the flip side of that is we are not to love what God forbids. We are not to love what is evil. Biblical love doesn't excuse things that God says are evil. Biblical love embraces all the things in this word that we say yes and amen to, including the things that say this is what's forbidden. Don't do these things. There was a popular worship song that came out some years ago called Oceans. And one of the phrases was, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Isn't that a great phrase? Spirit, lead me where my trust in you, God, has no limits. Where I trust you in all things. What an amazing aspiration to get to. That we could be at a place where we trust God in all things. And oftentimes we think we have to trust him in the trials and the hard things of life and the tough experiences, and that's true. But the question I have for us this morning is, is do we also trust him in what he says in this book? Do we trust what this says as God's reflection, as his heart, as his word? And can we put all of our trust in that higher than anything else we trust in this life? That what he says and how he describes how we should act is true and trustworthy. The Bible clearly states things like shredding other people or sexual immorality or lying, or complaining, or gossiping, or unedifying speech are sinful behaviors. Do we, as it says, detest what is evil and cling to what is good? Or do we just accommodate and excuse? I know the Bible says it's wrong, but no, that's a trust issue. Do we trust that that's the best we can live. What God wrote in this book describes how human beings can live at their best as he intended and trust him that when we fall short, if we repent, he will empower us to live that way again. Biblical love will not lead us to do anything contrary to the will of God. Biblical love will not lead us to do anything contrary to the will of God. And I don't know if you're like me, but if you looked at my life, there's a lot of things you look at and say, wow, that's contrary to God's will. So I want to grow in this thing called biblical love. And when that happens, how do we do that? How do we grow in biblical love? We first and foremost have to go to God and say, God, will you help us? We can't do this in our, on our own. I don't have the human strength in me to act in perfect biblical love. That's why I have to throw myself on the feet of Jesus and say, will you help me? Will you forgive me? Will you empower me? And then the Spirit of God come forward. 
And as we do that in community, it leads us to the third one, that love is beautifully displayed in a family called the church. Love is beautifully displayed in the family called the church. Look at verse 10. It says, love one another deeply, not casually, not halfway. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And then I love this second sentence, outdo one another in showing honor. One of the ways we love one another is to show honor and respect towards the other. And this says we should outdo each other in giving honor to the other person. That's how we love one another deeply. Let's do that, Crossview Church. Let us be people who are marked by the way we love one another deeply. The command in the original language describes affections that are present in a healthy family. Paul is saying here that the church is an extended family of brothers and sisters that are so motivated by love that they think of the other's interest above themselves. Their attitudes are there to outdo each other in showing honor in this family. That we honor those who come in. That we say that they as human beings created in God's image are worthy of love. Regardless of their fallings and shortcomings, the church is a healthy family that can't wait to, that, that's pictured here, the, the church that Paul is describing is a healthy family that can't wait to elevate and outdo one another in showing honor. That's the foundation of the church. And you know what? No matter what I love, no matter what you love, I would say, look, I would say it pales in comparison to how much God loves it when he sees his children loving one another. When he sees his children loving one another, his heart is moved. His heart is impacted. And God loves it when we sincerely love. How do we do that? That's a whole journey in community together. But I want to share one practical point that could be helpful. We can love when we focus on their good points and my bad points rather than my good points and their bad points. We love when we can focus on their good points and my bad points rather than on my good points and their bad points. That's a practical way love is expressed in the family of God. That's a foundation. And when the church is planted on that foundation, it rises up and takes off. And then this is what happens. Look at verse 11. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not lack diligence in your zeal, your excitement for the things of God, but be fervent in the Spirit and serve the Lord. This literally means be set on fire by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is the agent that creates the want to, that creates the power, that creates what's necessary for us to love the way we're supposed to love. The Holy Spirit is the person who comes and dwells inside of us to create this ability for us to walk in the ways of God. 
And the way this is worded, Paul is very careful not to say that this just automatically happens by osmosis, that you just walk in and it automatically happens. No, he says, with diligence, meaning here's the process, here's what it looks like. You take a step towards self-sacrifice and love towards a brother and sister, and then the Spirit of God meets you there, empowers that act, helps you to do it again, and then you take another step, and he empowers you, and you take another step, and he empowers you. That's the Christian life of love that he's describing in these verses. Let that be lived out in the family of Crossview Church. What a beautiful thing. Look at verses 12 to 13. It's expressed even more. Rejoice in hope, patient in affliction, persistent in prayer. The marks of a believer, the marks of the church. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality, others' needs above our own. The needs of others capture our attention. What an amazing picture of the family of God that Paul put here. It tells me this, that when the church is healthy, it is the most attractive thing to the human heart. When these things are functioning as God intended, the church is the most attractive thing to the human heart. It's the place where people come and flourish. It's the place where people can be all that God intended them to be. I love the church of Jesus Christ, even in its imperfections. Is it perfect? No. Show me a family that is. But I tell you what, it is beautiful when it's expressed, even in its immaturity and its imperfections. Because get this, I, I get concerned when people leave church because they got hurt or they leave church because things were uncomfortable. Because here's the deal, even in the uncomfortableness, even in the things that hurt us about church, God designed that too to let the gospel and the love be displayed in a way where we come together and we say this hurt and we lovingly dialogue and we exchange forgiveness and forgiveness can happen and then there can be restoration and healing and people can walk out. You see, church just isn't a place where the gospel and love is to be declared. Church is the place where the gospel and love is to be displayed. And one of the places it's displayed is when we hurt one another. And then in love we go and we have a dialogue and we say, this hurt, will you forgive me? And forgiveness can be exchanged and there can be healing and wholeness. That happens nowhere else. Let it happen in the church. God's family. He designed it to happen. Our imperfections in church are his tools to make us more like Jesus. Conflicts and hurt in church are opportunities to grow like Christ. I want to encourage us with something. And when I say this, I'm not talking so much about Crossview Church, but church as a whole, worldwide. It's kind of become sport to rip apart or cut down the church, and we need to be very, very careful. Because the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And Jesus loves his church. And there's people that say, oh, I'm just with Jesus. I'm not about church. That is so unbiblical and so foreign. And if Jesus was there, he'd say, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because Jesus is so entwined to his church. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are brought into the church. The church isn't a building. 
It's a people who are saved and redeemed by our Savior. And Jesus can't separate those two, and neither should we. And we have to be careful when we rip apart the church or say things about the church because we're talking about God's bride. It's like insulting someone's spouse, but even more so because it's holy, perfected God's church. And the church is not perfect, but you know what? One day it's going to be. When Jesus comes, he's going to give his church a glorified body with no more sin, no more sickness, no more shame, and it's going to be perfected in the power of God. And that's a promise that lies before us. And as his people, we should begin walking in that promise and letting his heart for the church be present in our hearts as his people. The other reason we need to be careful when we talk about church is where else in the world can people come of different ages, different races, different stages of life, different perspectives, and come into this place and genuinely outdo one another in showing honor and loving one another and worshiping God together as one family? Where will that happen other than church? It's one of the only places on the earth, if not the only place on the earth, where that can take place. And God establishes church to do that. And he established you and put you where you are to be that carrier of his presence, to be that carrier of his love, to be that carrier of his message. Pastor Richard Halverson, who was a chaplain of the U.S. Senate, would go to his church for years and he'd only do one benediction. You know how we do the benediction, the blessing at the end of service? He would only do one and he'd repeat it every single time, every single week. The church he pastored heard this benediction, the only one. He wrote, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in you being right where you are. Jesus, who indwells you by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to do something in you and through you. Believe this and go in his grace and his love and his power in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That captures it, the love that transforms our hearts that we take to the world. We are called to love. I want to wrap up by just giving you one practical way you can grow in love this fall here at Crossview Church. It's probably one of the best ways I know. This is a special season at Crossview Church. It's the season where we engage and put out the sign-ups for life groups. And I want to just take some minutes to tell you about life groups because it could be foreign to some of you and talk to you about what can happen in life groups. A life group is a group of 8 to 12 people who meet outside of the Sunday morning worship. And it's a place where People grow in Christ together. It's the place where these ideas of love can have display and grow. I was so encouraged this last year by what happened in life groups in Crossview Church. Not only did we have numbers higher than we ever experienced, but beyond the numbers, there were stories. People told me stories about how when they go to life group and they talk about the sermon, they learn things about God they could never have learned otherwise. People told me about stories of things they did together as a life group where they said, I felt like I mattered. These people came alongside me in one of the worst moments of my life and carried me through, and it was a sign of love. That's life group. 
Life was not intended to be lived alone. It was intended to be lived in community, especially if you are a believer. Paul said we shouldn't live our lives as Christians in isolation, but in community and love with one another. And life groups are an incubator for that to happen. It helps us, life groups help us walk out the life of a Christian and to understand it deeply. I was listening this week to uh, a program called Family Life Today, and they were interviewing uh, Daryl Strawberry. Some of you may remember Daryl Strawberry as an MLB star in the 80s and 90s. He played for New York Mets and, and Yankees, and his story is incredible. He became addicted to drugs, had several relapses, was in and out of rehabs over and over, and he talked about his story. Now he's living for Christ. He's got a family. He's been clean. He's speaking in different places and helping people and setting up different uh, rehab centers so people can get help because he understands how hard the addiction is to break. But he talked about how he went to a church and when he's at his lowest point and there's people who loved him and he gave his life to Christ. But he said there's never an opportunity to get together and talk about the things of God in a small group. He said, I was never discipled. I never learned how to read my Bible. I never learned what the Bible was talking about. I never learned. It just was going to the big thing on Sunday. And he says, it wasn't before long that I left that, got back into addiction. And 15 years later, I had to come back to church. And when I came back to church, I got into this group. It was a small group of people that taught me about what the Bible was saying and what love is and how to live that out. And he said, I was discipled there. I became a disciple. He said, what could have happened in that first church if I had an opportunity to do that? I could have spared 15 years of pain. See, life groups are a place where we learn and grow deeper in Christ. This is great. We come and worship and we get encouraged and it should fuel us. But we have to be in a smaller place where we can be real and we can be known and people can know us and we can grow in the faith. It's critically, critically important. Maybe you've been drifting spiritually. Maybe as you're hearing about this, you're feeling like your heart hasn't reflected love in the way it used to or the way it should. Maybe you don't feel like you know God as well as you want to. I encourage you this year, consider joining a life group. Allow the people of God to come around you and experience this love. Sign-ups begin next week, but here's what I want you to do this week as we leave this place. I want you to, to think about three things. I want to invite you to do these three things. First of all, I want you to strongly consider joining a life group this fall. Strongly consider getting around a group of people that will help you grow as a Christian believer. Sign-ups are next week, so this week, look at your schedule this fall. When would be a good day for you to be in a life group? Start thinking about that, and then when the sign-ups start, you can pick a group that would really help you to do that. Second thing, I'm going to encourage you to pick this up. Romans 12, verses 9 to 18. And read that every day this week. Spend time interacting with God's word. Reading it, but don't do it unless you do this. As you read it, admit to God that you can't do this on your own. There's no way you can live out these words in your own strength and your own power. Admit to God that you can't do this and you need him, his grace, his love, and his power to live this out and ask him for it and he will meet you in that place. He loves to do that. 
Look at verse 10 again. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. Northern Arizona University did a a study on friendship. Can you believe that? They seriously did. They did a study on friendship. They spent lots and lots of money researching friendship. And you know what they found at the end? Are you ready for this? They found that friendship makes us healthier and happier. Do you believe that? They spent years and lots of money researching that. Friendship makes us healthy and happier. I laughed when I saw that. But then I started reading deeper. And you know what they did? They researched why that was true. You know why friendship makes us feel healthier and happier? Because they said simply doing life together with others makes us feel like we matter. Simply doing life together with others makes us feel like we matter. And when we do that in a context of something like a life group, where we join with other people, not only do we feel like we matter, but God is among us because he said, when two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. And he teaches us, guides us, loves us. Consider being in a life group this fall so you can experience that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the example of love in your son Jesus. I thank you that we don't have to look much further to find out what love is and how it's displayed than looking at your son and that's your purpose and your plan. So God, I ask you give us eyes to see the love of Christ, that you give us ears to hear the love of Christ, that you give us the courage and the boldness to carry out the love of Christ and you would help us, God, to do that. We admit we can't love like we're supposed to on our own. We need your strength. And Father, in those areas that we have not loved like we should, would you please forgive us, instruct us, and help us. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.